0: Good morning and welcome. On this week's Countrywide, we go on an organic farm walk on legendary lands in County Clare. A listener recalls Halloween's past and we discover the joys of forest bathing. You can contact us on 51551 or at countrywide at rte.ie. But first... The weather has been a topic of conversation all throughout 2023, but especially amongst Ireland's four and a half thousand or so tillage farmers. For them, this year has gone from bad to worse to even worse again. So I say uh, a good morning to Nicky Keane and Joe Warren. Good morning, gentlemen. Morning, Brenda.
1: Morning, Brenda. Well, can
0: you're you both in Wexford and you're tillage farmers there, but can I go back to last Monday morning? Because I saw a picture of what you were actually looking at when you looked out on your land. Do you mind, Nicky, if you tell me what happened on Monday morning?
2: Yeah, we were um, at home on Monday when we were getting the lunch and looking out at a, just a sheet of rain looking down um, going down across a field that we had sold two weeks previously. And it was like we had... Um, nearly 40 mils of rain on Monday and, and the most of that fell in a space of three hours and it was just looking like a river or a lake running down across the field.
0: Mm. And Joe, I presume it was similar for you?
1: It was, yeah. We got 37 mil of rain and we have not caught we are looking out on and there's six inches of water under most of it.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, when you're thinking about that, around a third of the average rainfall for October fell in that one day.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Yeah. And I was just looking, there's a weather warning, yellow weather warning issued for today for uh, Dublin, Kilkenny, Wexford, Waterford, and Carlos. So um, for you, Nikki, you haven't been able to get out to plant your winter crops for next summer's harvest. And Joe, kind of, if I can flip it, you haven't been able to get out to harvest the crops you planted in the spring. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
0: And what's the impact, guys, on that?
2: Um well for me, Brenda, it's um kinda like you know, it disrupts the next harvest that winter wheat is is my main crop that we grow and that's the one that that makes the most money for us. And if we don't um we don't get that planted, which which we won't now at this stage, because the land is just too wet. And as you said, we've yellow weather warning for today, and I think mm. next Wednesday is is very bad as well. So it just you know it puts us on the back foot straight away for next year after a really difficult year this year and what we've already had, which with um, the price of grain back over hundred euros a ton, um, our cap payment like I think there's been thirty million pulled from the t- from tillage farmers. Um, this year, just due to convergence. So it's, it's just this year from from when the weather broke at the end of February, it's just been the perfect storm to put tillage farmers really, really on the back foot and under an awful lot of pressure coming into 2024.
0: Joe, it really has been just the worst year. And it started for you kind of February, March.
1: Yeah, because we had bad weather from March. Then we had bad yields, bad prices below the cost of production. And this year, it was the most expensive barley that we put into the ground, costing over €600 an acre for inputs, excluding con acre.
0: And I'm And I'm just wondering, because of that and because it's so weather dependent, everything that you do, uh, you must be obsessed with the weather apps on your phone and I don't mean to trivialise that, I'm just thinking if that was me, I'd be kind of looking at everything. Uh, would that be right, Nicky?
2: Yeah, we've, um, we've a lot of them now on the phone that we check out with YR, Winguru, you know, XC Weather, Medair and, and the old five. Like, like, um, I think nearly the best of them all is um, Alan O'Reilly with Carlo Weather. Carlo Weather. weather. He seems to be, <laughs> yeah, he seems to be uh, have the best updates in fairness though. Yeah, but, um, yeah. You're always looking for the one with the least amount of rain to give you the bit, the most hope.
0: And you both grow crops for animal feed. You said there, but Nikki, you grow roast and barley for Guinness. What does that yeah, do? In um, the that kind of
2: puts uh, puts the colour into the Guinness, and it's it's separate to the malt and barley, which they you know they use that um, barley to brew. Um, to brew the Guinness on and then um, our product then, the barley, is the same type of barley but a, a little bit lower spec and they use that for actually putting the colour and uh, the deepness and richness into the Guinness. And Joe, you grow the malted barley. So I'm wondering, yeah. um,
0: you know, there are good prices for malted barley um, and for roasted b- barley. Did it go wrong this year? What are they looking for? Yeah, it
1: went wrong um, with the... Yeah, go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No go ahead, Nikki.
2: Then. Yeah, sorry, it just um it didn't it didn't meet the spikes. They have a protein spike and a few other things. The protein has to be very low in barley. Mm. And with the late plantings then and the nitrogen levels in the plant rose the proteins and then you've caused the wet weather then moisture and bushel weight as well. Like when you if if barley isn't harvested on time the bushel weight which is is the weight of the barley starts to fall and the quality goes out of the barley so it can't be used in you know for for um brewing or or roasting then or distilling for whiskey either so you know once once you're not getting that um premium price then for your barley you're back to a feed barley price
0: okay here i'm listening to both of you and i can actually hear it in your voices and i'm i'm thinking why bother like, why would you bother with it for the next couple of years? Maybe it's in your blood. Maybe it's in your system. You, 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 you love doing what you do. Why are you doing it now with all of this, Joe? Uh,
1: like you said, we love the owning. If, if all we need is the weather when we need, it and everything falls into place. When we, when we don't get the weather, everything mm. goes wrong. No matter what machine you have to harvest or do anything.
0: Yeah, and what about you, Nikki? Like I'm saying, why? With all of yeah, these problems? Yeah, look,
2: um, first I'd say, like, you know, that tillage farm and my father. Um farmed, his father farmed, um, and, I, and I'm still doing, and I hope my son in 20 or 30 years time will want to do it. And then, you know, you're tied into it. It's like any business. We've, you know, leases done up on land that we rent. We've machinery, repairments, repayments to make. It's, it all filters down through, like it's not something that you can walk away from, but you know, when you do a job that you love and you love getting up in the morning and going out and planting a crop of corn, it's very hard to walk away from that.
0: And you mentioned your father there, Joe, as well. And Thomas, he said he never saw a year like it and he's almost 80 years of age. But the older men in your neighbourhood had a warning last February, is that correct?
1: Yeah, a good February will rob from every other month of the year. So I think that's true now anyway.
0: I think so. Well, you know what? Uh, I know there's a compensation scheme on offer for tillage farmers. Are you both happy with that?
2: Um, um, we're not sure what's coming yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no. Look, we we don't know what's coming yet. Um, the Irish Grain Growers Group had a meeting with the minister um, during the week there, and they promised. Um, that that um, they will come back with more to the table. So we, look, we hope we hope they do and make it, look, They're never going to cover the full cost of production. But if 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 we could get something to soften the blow a bit more than what they came, you know, eleven euro an acre wasn't worth a whole lot to anybody. So hopefully, if they can come back with a bit more, it might it might soften the blow a little bit. Anyway.
0: All right. Well, listen, Joe and Nicky, that has been a very tough year, and we can hear it in your voices and how you tell it. I will be keeping a very close eye on the weather in February, hoping for the best weather in 2024. Thank you both so much for joining us from Wexford this morning for telling your story. Good morning to you both. Now, recently I visited Aina Canavan's farm just outside Doolan in County Clare. He was a very bu- he was very busy when I arrived because that morning his farm was hosting an organic farm walk with Chagas and the department. He wants to show other farmers interested in organics how his beef herd is getting on. So before the walk got underway, Ana took me to see his cattle, and as we crossed the fields, I discovered that not only was I walking across organic farmland, I was treading hallowed ground with the ghosts from festivals past at my shoulder.
3: I'm OK, we'll have a walk down.
0: Yeah. Now the funny thing is, I may have walked these fields before, but not in these circumstances.
3: Uh, no, I'd say you hadn't been in these circumstances before. You were probably here as a, an old reveller there for the Liston Verna Festival many years ago. Held right here yeah held right here in this farm yeah 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 you're, you're looking over where the the campsite is at the moment but well it's a green field now
0: how long was it held here
3: uh it was held here for five years up until yeah. 1983 so a little bit before my time now but um <laughs> unfortunately not before
0: mine <laughs> a cousin of hers loves
3: what joe dolan was it yeah no
0: pothole oh
3: pothole and <laughs> jesus there's potholing up here too you know yeah um, but
0: there was another cousin loves
3: uh, Joe Dolan yeah yes. yeah. goes Dolan. okay so here we are Brenda looking at the herd here now it's a, a mixture of different breeds really there's a, a couple of uh, shorthorns there's a couple of limousines there's a couple of shardies mm. in it uh, I have a few rare breed cattle as well yeah they're, they're quite content here at the moment anyway when it's not raining so hopefully they'll stay that way
0: So, how long are you farming organically, and How did you come to that decision, Aina? Uh,
3: I started farming organically in uh, late 2017. It was always something I was interested in doing, and uh, a couple of friends had told me I was basically farming organically anyway. Uh, Explain that. Just not using many chemicals as such, very few chemical inputs, a small bit of chemical fertiliser, but at the same time, I didn't really need it as much as I thought I did. When you made the decision, right,
0: I'm going organic, was it difficult setting that up in terms of paperwork?
3: Uh, there was quite a bit of paperwork at the start and it was all about just getting your head around it. But I did have a, a very good uh, advisor as well. I, I, I used the local vets here, Burnt Vets, and I did a health plan with them because you have to do that as part of your um, organic conversion plan. But once you got all around that, it, it was fairly straightforward. It was just a case of looking at things differently and filling out forms at certain occasions. Like People often say, oh, you can't ever dose an element again No. Because you're organic But that's just not true at all There just might need To be a little bit more Paperwork involved in it
0: It's a two year Conversion process
3: Two years Yeah, yeah.
0: How does that work?
3: You get an inspection From uh, your organic Certification body is Organic Trust And they tell you Essentially the first Inspection is more or less Them telling you What you need to be doing And have things right uh, And then They inspect you Each year after that
0: I tell you, they're fine looking breed, aren't they? Uh, they're yeah, mix
3: the, of them. Yeah, well, this lady's a, a, an albrek. She's a, she's a little bit different to all the rest of them now. She does stand out, her right so I'd never like to have all the same colour or anything like that. You need to have a bit of a variety, I think. So, I don't know, I just like looking at them, to be honest, that way. like, <laughs> I get too bored if they're all one colour. So.
0: so going organic on a day-to-day basis, sure. um, what were the changes that you made to your way of doing things around the farm?
3: Well, the main issue really is bedding and housing during the winter uh, because animals need a certain area for bedding. So you're always going to have a straw bill every year and you have to worry about mucking out cabins and things like they used to do years ago. That was the main thing to go through. Now, I was lucky enough that my shed was big enough anyway because it was a bigger enterprise uh, years previous. You probably saw it there as we were walking up, actually. The shed is where we're going to do some talks later on. Like, other than that, strong kind of a strict rotational grazing plan is very important for avoiding uh, young stock picking up worms and stuff to avoid dosing if you leave a paddock idle for more than 25 days any worms that are in it will die out and you can let cattle graze it again i've tried that system for the last 5 years and honestly i've never had any issues with worms so it does work
0: when you sell your animals do you get a better price because they're organic
3: there is generally supposed to be a premium in organics no Sometimes it's, it's not as black and white as that. They do, in my experience, generally go the same price as conventional animals. But also, there isn't enough organic finishers in the market. A lot of the time, I'll sell Wayland's here, and possibly a conventional guy might buy them and finish them conventionally, and it kind of defeats the purpose of raising them organically in the first place. But if we had organic finishers, it would break that cycle of it. So, I think we do need a few more of them.
0: Now that you're on the road here as an organic farmer... Is there anything in the process that surprised you? Uh,
3: What did surprise me, I suppose, is is how passionate people tend to get for it. Uh, When I joined at first, I was more like, okay, yeah, the payments will be nice or whatever. But I I never thought you'd get so passionate about the whole thing and you'd meet other people equally as passionate. I wasn't expecting that. That did surprise me for sure.
0: Around 70 people were crowded into a shed on a wet day. Back to you again.
4: This is really why...
1: Um, we decided to bring acres
0: and John Noonan from Chagas explained who they were.
4: We've done a poll because we want to see what kind of what kind of people are coming here, who's interested. And I think 90% of the people that came, 95 are not in organics. And they're the people that we want to talk to because we're we we do not mind talking to the converters in a lot of, in a case like this. We're just walking down to one of his paddocks where we're going to talk about rush control. My name is
3: Paul, I'm from the forestry department in Chagask and I've been farming organically all my life way before you were getting money for it.
0: Everyone was left with lots to think about and there was a great round of applause for Eina to say thank you for hosting the walk. Well the talk is over and we've heard about everything from organic farming to forestry to mental health and
5: what do people think who came along? And this is Bridie Tracy. Yeah. We have, we're fully organic now. We joined two, two years ago, mm. so we got word the other day to say that we're fully organic since April. We can walk and talk, Bridie. Why did you decide to go fully organic? Well, um, yeah. we were in dairying and he was no longer able for the cows, so yeah. then we decided to get out of the cows and the organics then was kind of an
0: option for us do you feel as and i i say this in the gentlest way that both of you are you know getting on a little bit in years that organics is a better option for you oh can you explain that to me please
5: Well, you see like you're not very intensive and you can get the schemes and keep less cattle maybe bring up your income that way the only thing was the, the paperwork (laughs) yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, when I saw the f- the farms in the beginning, uh, I looked at the paperwork and I said, no, no, that's not for us. But luckily enough, our daughter was doing the green set at the time, so she was able to do the
0: paperwork for us. You knew so. there was a reason you had her, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Since you started to farm organically, yes. has anything surprised you? Has anything taken you back to that farm? That you were on when you were growing yeah, up as a child.
5: Yeah, it's it's kind of, we're going back in time-like. Where I grew up, we were farming organically, but we didn't know it. You'll yes, be able
0: to give the tour the next time
5: on I, your I, farm, Bridie? I don't know, I don't know, yeah. <laughs> Why are we here today?
4: Oh, just to have a look to see what organic would do for my farm. I have a lot to think about. The finances sound very good in organics, but it's it's more than just money. There is... a A lot of implications for going organic and you really have to take your time and think about it and balance it up and see where you want to go.
0: We have a couple here. What are your names? Julie Powell and Brenda Malloy.
4: We're in conversion at the moment. We have a small holding in Nina, County Tipperary, and we, it's mostly a horticulture we're involved in. But we, we, because of rotation, we need something to graze off the land as well, and some of the rare breeds would sort of suit our setup.
0: <laughs> Good to get out for the day. Yeah, yeah this is called a date.
4: We'll <laughs> <laughs> be buying me dinner on the way home. <laughs> And
0: that was Julie and Brendan on their hot date farm walk, ending my report from Aina Canavan's farm in County Clare. Now, we're expecting another organic farm scheme to open soon. It was indicated it would happen by the end of the month. So many farmers are mulling over their options. Should they go organic? Should they not? It's a big decision. Dr. Nicholas Lampkin is an agroeconomist and he's currently working with the Tune In Institute, an advisory body to the German government examining organic farming policy. because of course, Ireland's organic policies are part of a wider EU shift towards organic production. Irish farmers are not alone in facing these decisions. Um, good morning, Nick. Good morning. And tell me now—we know the EU Farm to Fork policy sets a target of 25% of agricultural land under organic farming by 2030. Is this likely to happen, and how does Ireland compare to many of the other European countries?
4: Yeah, it's it's an ambitious target to get to 25%. Um, it involves a threefold increase in this decade. Um, but we've achieved twofold increases in the previous two decades, um, so there is a there is a chance that we can get to it. Uh, member states have responded generally pretty well, and most member states or all member states now have a target for organic farming, um, which will get us close to 20% if they achieve that. So we're we're on the right road to get there, but uh, it will still be quite challenging.
0: And where uh, it, where are it, we? Where is Ireland?
4: Yeah, well, Ireland is um, I think about five percent now. Right, uh, having started at two and a half percent at the beginning of the process, so it's already doubled uh, with all the people that have come on board in the last year uh, or last two years even, um, and it's aiming for ten th- percent. I think it's it's clear that is a very substantial increase in the context of Ireland. Um. And the EU was never expecting that every country would achieve 25%. So I think the Irish example is actually quite impressive within within the overall framework.
0: When I was on the farm walk there last week, um, a lot of the people were talking about the premium price for organics. And is that sustainable in the market? And we, I, I know during COVID, organic prices were good, but they've started to fall you know, there's food food security, inflation, and all that. So, how sustainable is that premium price?
4: Yeah, it's 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 a complex picture. If you look at the European level, the market has grown threefold every decade for the last two decades, and it's been fairly consistent in its growth. Um, but clearly, uh, the inflation pressures of the last year have had an impact. Uh, what what happened more was that conventional prices caught up with organic um, as a result of the Ukraine war starting. Um, But now conventional prices are falling back again. Um, Organic has been in most countries fairly stable. Um, So we've seen some decline in some countries, but other countries have seen continued growth in the last year in the context of inflation. The one thing I I would say is um, that the rate of growth in Ireland is very fast. And I think it's quite important that people who are converting are realistic about the market opportunities uh, in the short to medium term. I think there is long-term potential, um, but it, we, we had a similar experience when I was working in Wales uh, of a large number of farmers converting in a short period of time, and the result was that many many of the new converters were selling their sheep and, um, and beef, uh, lamb and beef, at more or less conventional prices for a few years, and I think I think you you need to go in as far as the market's concerned, with your eyes open and I think particularly on the on the dairy sector, unless a new dairy processor comes on board because of the expansion, which is quite possible, um, then the dairy sector tends to be more controlled in terms of accepting new people into the marketplace. so it is it's something that people have to go in with their eyes open and be prepared to invest in developing new market opportunities as part of the conversion
0: and you, speaking of having their eyes wide open it is a big decision to convert now um what would help them decide like what can the government do what can what can what can be offered them to make it an easier process
4: well I th- I th- um, the funding that is given for conversion and maintenance i think is is really helpful it doesn't cover all the costs so it can be seen as a process of risk sharing with the farmer. Um, clearly, talking to people and identifying market opportunities and building market opportunities, with also with new other neighbouring farmers that are also converting at the same time, that's still possible. But I also think the the whole issue of get, being really well informed, getting advisory help from Chogask and so on, um, that that I think is also really critical that, that you you see the conversion as a learning process um, where you're learning from other farmers, learning from advisors, learning from going through the training courses that are available. Um, I think that's a that's a really important part of the process.
0: Now, so kind of a one-stop shop, really, is what you're saying. The one place you can go, you can get all this information, you can get the mentoring. Uh, and, and, and that would ap- absolutely help farmers.
4: Yeah, I think I think we've had the experience in, in Wales and we had it in other countries that I've worked with um, that if you've got centres of excellence that are, a- <clears throat> are able to bring together marketing, advice, knowledge, training, all of those things together to make them really easily available and to make a strong focus on organic, uh, that can be really helpful. In the meantime, you're working with separate institutions, there needs to be a, a, a really good mechanism for getting those institutions like Board B and Chagas to, to collaborate together and really make uh, information readily available.
0: And Nick, in in a nutshell, let's say, uh, you're working with TuneIn institutes in Germany and they have a more mature organic sector. What can we learn very briefly from them?
4: Yeah, I think, um, well, Germany, Germany has a target of 30% of organic land, so it's higher than the EU target. Um, it, it's a more complex situation because it has 16 different lender, um, all with their own agricultural policies. Um, but what they what they have done is, is really focus on the information side. They've got a, a strong information portal for organic, a lot of consumer interaction, a lot of focus on public procurement. Um, and a lot of focus on research. So they have a very big research budget for organic farming. Um, and I think those, you know, the, alongside what you might do on, with the farmer, the, you know, you need to do all of those other activities to make um, everything hang together.
0: Well, Nick, thank you so much for sharing all your insight with us um, we appreciate it that was Dr Nicholas Lampkin agroeconomist with the TuneIn Institute in Germany and NOTS is organising Biofarm 2023 in a dare this Tuesday the 7th of November and Wednesday the 8th of November and no doubt that the issues that we've just discussed are going to come up uh, they certainly will right come back after the break and we can all go forest bathing together
5: email countrywide at rte.ie. Countrywide on RTE Radio 1.
0: And you're very welcome back to our programme this morning. Now, the Japanese have known for years that spending time in a forest is beneficial for the body and the soul. And now the practice of forest bathing is becoming popular here in Ireland. Della Kilroy went on a forest bathing walk in Dublin's Phoenix Park with Sarah Horrigan, founder of Nature Therapy Ireland. Ashleigh,
6: Ashleigh. brilliant. brilliant. You. OK, guys, let's get going. So, yeah, we've just walked from this beautiful kind of field in under the tree canopy of beech trees. The energy feels different. The light is even a little bit different. It's really beautiful. OK, welcome. We're going to create our little circle here. So I just want you to find a spot to sit. Uh, I'm with sit Sarah Horrigan, host of a forest bathing session here in Dublin's Phoenix Park. The slow walk focuses on the surrounding nature, hoping to rebalance the body and mind. So just to give you a bit of an idea of how this is going to work. So we're standing in circle now under these beautiful beech trees. Then I'm gonna give you some, I like to call them invitations, to go out into the forest to do before we come back to circle to just simply chat about them together. So over the next two hours, hopefully you'll get a feel for what it's like. But where did it come from? So... Japan in the 80s, they coined the term forest bathing. So like we, a lot of us have experienced, their population was experiencing a tech boom, staring at screens, working in offices. And what can often come with that is chronic stress and fatigue. So they found that the Japanese people that were spending a lot more time in the country's forests were really protected against this. And they found loads of different ways in which simply spending time in a forest can really boost your health and well-being. So, if you want to grab your things and let's get walking. So as we settle here in this space, I'd love for you to just notice your energy in your body. I invite you now to tune in to what you can hear. The birds, the raindrops, and just notice, can you smell or taste anything on the forest air this morning? So I'd love to just hear a little bit about what you were noticing there. So, so yeah, as always, whoever would like to go first. Just seeing like, it's kind of like a hazy sunshine coming through the clouds. It's just really, really beautiful. It's like it's a little bit of hope and life coming into the day. It's really nice. It was like everyone was at the pace that I was comfortable with. As I was saying, I had a broken leg and I felt I couldn't look around at all the textures that everyone else got to see. But then I noticed there was so much going on in the ground this is all the leaves and the little are they called beech nuts I don't know and then you can hear your the sounds of your feet
5: on the ground I mean obviously the, the leaves are turning now and there's still a lot of green around but there's lots of russet colors and yellows and little droplets on the grass and um, little spiders sitting beside me when I was having a bit of a think and and um, birds are busy and it's just lovely and there's squirrels, you know there's just so much magic around if you just sit for a minute and look
6: thank you for sharing so the next thing I invite you to do I'm going to invite you to go out into the forest on your own now and what I'd love for you to do is to meet a tree and if you go a little further and you don't hear the gong and we don't find you I'll give a good shout (laughs) of cuckoo (laughs) and that's how we'll get you back so there's no rush While the group go out on their own into the forest, Sarah tells me more about the role of nature therapy. So I think that the beauty of nature therapy is my role here is the guide, or I call my job title nature therapy practitioner and in that nature is the therapist and um, so nature has this beautiful way of holding us and sometimes a lot of what might have needed to come to the surface for a long time can do so that means that for some people emotion can rise sometimes they might actually find it really difficult uh, because things might be coming up in them that they might not have I suppose even thought about or I think it's the beauty of slowing down that people can see the raindrops on the blades of grass. They can hear the variety of all the different birds instead of just hearing birdsong in general. Um, And it's in this noticing detail where the real special kind of work starts to happen. What have you noticed in the forest as we go along? much more than I would normally take in. You're on your own sometimes in nature but you're still with the group. I found that very relaxing and you didn't look like a weirdo just sitting in the woods by yourself.
3: Oh, for me I um, immediately calm down when you're in nature outside. I live beside the Phoenix Park but I'm from Donegal so I'm from beside the coast so I'm really used to getting that from water and I can find in Dublin that I really miss that. Makes you really appreciate where we are and how lucky we are
6: so you're so welcome to our closing circle here closing words to finish out your experience today
5: i leave with cold feet
0: and a warm heart i think um, for me i leave with a more uh, clear sense of intention going into winter and also feeling comfortable in like hibernating and the change of season
5: it's okay to, to go slow and it's okay to be conscious And it's okay to carve out some time for me.
0: Oh, sorry. I was kind of in that forest bathing mode where I got really relaxed. Um, That was Sarah Horgan, founder of Nature Therapy, ending Della, very calming report there and for more information it's naturetherapyireland.com and Della went on a walk as part for contribution to Nature Nights here on RT Radio 1 from next Tuesday night at 10 p.m. There will be a nightly celebration of nature and biodiversity in Ireland and the people who engage with this world through science and the arts it will include a piece by Della on nature therapy If you missed the broadcast, you can listen back on the RTE Radio 1 player. Now, as we count down to the end of this countrywide, the country is counting down to Halloween on Tuesday. And as the tillage farmers say, fingers crossed, let's hope the weather is fine. And sitting opposite me, and I ain't joking about this, and that's probably why I was slightly distracted there, is the scariest person I have ever seen. Hello, Jack.
7: Hi. Hi. How you doing? He
0: has white coloured contact lenses in. It's very weird. He's going to tell me his short story shortly, how he's travelling the world, scaring for a living. But first, something more local. Janet Herbin listens to Countrywide on her family farm in North Cork, where her husband, Liam, has a dairy enterprise. She loves this time of the year and she sent us this audio reflection on Halloween's of her childhood, which, when it was far more DIY Affair. In the
8: 1970s, supermarkets packed your messages in big paper bags. In school, we cut out eye and mouth holes in these and transformed them into bag masks with our best markers. We also made witches' hats from card. These wonky coronets were secured with thin elastic around the chin. Thin elastic also featured in shop-bought masks made of flimsy hard plastic, which cracked easily. I couldn't see out small eye holes and the minuscule mouth hole meant I battled condensation and hypoxia. A bin bag finished off the frightening ensemble. This would keep me safe from the souls of the dead who flitted through the thin veil between this life and the afterlife at Samhain. My mother baked a barn that hid a stick, which foretold your husband would beat you, a piece of cloth that destined you to a life of poverty and a pea which foretold a single life. The coin for wealth and the ring for marriage were the prized treasures within the cake. We held our Halloween games in a dark stable. We got soaked bobbing for apples and got infuriated trying to snap a bite of the apple swinging on a string from the stable door. The thing is, I am drawn to the macabre. And my favourite Halloween game is the Saucer Predictions. Blindfolded, your hand chooses one of four saucers. One has a ring for marriage, then water for travel, a coin for wealth, and my personal favourite, earth, to signify a grave and death. My children are horrified to hear I really did get apples and monkey nuts on my trick or treat rounds. Apparently, This tradition comes from wealthy families paying poorer people to say prayers for their dead and is called souling. It's a far cry from my son and his friend traipsing round our village in giant inflatable dinosaur suits, collecting a stash of sweets that will see them fed till Christmas. Some traditions have changed, but people still build and light bonfires in the manner of our ancestors who lit them to petition the gods to send the sun again at the end of winter. They would scatter cattle bones in the flames, thus giving us the word bonfire, which comes from bone fire, the literal translation of the Irish Tinta a wonderful word to demonstrate the link between death and renewal. Even without the stick, cloth and the pea in the barnbrack, am I saucer of death? I still love Halloween. It's a celebration to herald the end of the hard work, the harvesting, the milking, and to welcome the winter, a time to reflect and plan and rebuild. And the spring will not be long.
0: There you go. Thank you so much, Janet Hearn, recalling her childhood memories of Halloween. Now, honestly, if you could see what I could see in the studio, it's a gentleman called Jack. But you are a professional scare actor working on Causey Farm. they pharmaphobia. Yes. right now. You're from New York. And just describe your look very quickly for everybody listening to the program.
7: So my particular character, I wear very bloody clothes, a red You're jacket. You're wearing them now. Yes, I'm wearing them You're now.
0: full car- He slept in them last night. <laughs> yes. Hello. And I have, if uh, he slept.
7: <laughs> the signature part of my look, I think, are my blood tears and my very white eyes. So They're white um, contact lenses. Yes, they are. Are
0: they very difficult?
7: No, they, they, they feel just like normal contacts. I can see absolutely fine.
0: Freaky. <laughs> and who's your character based on?
7: So my character originated as a Purge, uh, using Purge, the, the movie series, the movie, as inspiration, yeah. um, which is a movie quickly based on... Uh, You have one night of the year to do whatever you want. Government sanctioned, violence, anything that you want. And so it was a person trying to release his inner anger. Um, And then it sort of evolved into a person that was possessed by a demon. So I had the same look. I just evolved it a little bit. And that's where the name Murmur comes from.
0: Professional scare actor. Yes. And this is your money. Yes. You make a living. Yes. How and why?
7: Um, what's your so, unique selling point? I mean, everybody <laughs> who's involved in the in, in as a scare actor probably does other things in the industry. Whether it's making costumes, whether it's working at conventions, whether it's working for haunted houses in the off season. So there's lots of different things that we do. And then when the season comes around, we do uh, we act as much as we can during the two months of September and October. And the why is because I love Halloween. I love everything about Halloween. All events um, from you know and everything from napkins with pumpkins on them to um you know 15 foot animatronics so it's
0: so big the industry now it and is. i think they've particularly got into the teenage market which is here in here, ireland yes your scares, what kind of scares do you do? What, yeah, if I so, met you in a dark, kind of haunted house, the what bre- would happen?
7: <laughs> the bread and butter of a haunted house actor is a pop scare where they hide and they jump out at you.
0: A pop scare?
7: Yes. However, I'm, I'm a yard actor, so I'm out in front of the customers. I have to do a lot of improv. So I do do pop scares when I can find places to hide, um, but I'll distract people. I'll talk to one of your friends, and then very creepy, and then out of nowhere, I'll just jump at you. So I do what I call an in-person pop. There's other ways you can whisper in people's ears. If someone tells Ah. you someone's name, you can tell them you can say like, Hi, Brenda. Like you can you know whisper. It freaks people out. So you're doing everything from being creepy to being scary to shocking people and and also making people laugh. That's a big part of it as well.
0: Okay. I'm sure you get big reactions when you make people scream. And we won't do it to our listeners who are (laughs) over their porridge this morning. But if you do a big scream right Mm -hmm. how do you in terms of your vocal control like what's the skill in screaming
7: it absolutely has to come from your diaphragm if you don't do it from your diaphragm much like a singer would you will lose your voice very quickly and you know if i scream 100 200 300 times a night and i do that for 30 nights a year and or 30 nights during the you know the six weeks of, of halloween um yeah, you have to do it from your Diaphragm, for sure.
0: You having fun in Ireland, by the way. I'm
7: absolutely. Fun, yeah. Yes, I am. I, I'm We're having a great time.
0: Jumpy. Yeah.
7: <laughs> yes, it's it's been great, and uh, Cosy Farm has been uh, they've been very kind to me, and they're they're running a number of events. And, you know, they have the Pooka Spooka, and then they have this new thing called uh, Ghost of the Manor, which is an immersive theater experience at Rockfield House. So.
0: And you're here. You're all dressed up. You'll you'll be on the farm for the next while. Why do you love this time of the year so much?
7: I think, you know, the difference between Halloween and other holidays is that it's a community holiday. It's something where everyone from the community comes together and can celebrate, whereas other holidays tend to be more family oriented. And and I just have always been attracted to the spooky nature of it, the, the the dark nature of it, that this time of year is beautiful and creepy. And it's just all of these things together make Halloween a very unique time.
0: All right. Well, look, if you you seem like such a reasonable person as I speak to you here. But if you want to experience the full horror of Jack Murmur, you can find him at Pharmaphobia in County Mead. All scary details on Pharmaphobia.com. Thank you to the wonderful team here on Countrywide. Eileen Hearn produced. Ear to the ground is back. Thursday, RTE TV, seven thirty. Hannah Quinn Mulligan is with you next week. We will talk to you soon. Have a wonderful weekend. Countrywide on RTE Radio One. Listen back on the RTE Radio Player.